Well, good morning. If you would like to go ahead and take your Bibles out, open them up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. As you do that, I would like to say uh, welcome to, to all of you, especially those of you who are visiting with us. You, uh, we were greatly encouraged by your presence, and we'd love for you uh, at the end of service to stick around just for a little bit. Let us get to know you a little bit better. Uh, there, there's one thing that has been asked of me uh, several times since I began preaching, primarily when I was still in that phase where I was working a, a full-time secular job and, and was also preaching I was asked often, when did you receive your calling? When did you get that? And what was meant by that question probably does need to be detailed just a little bit because the world tends to have this, this notion, this idea that, that God has this specific plan for preachers. And He knows who is going to be a preacher and who is not going to be a preacher. And He's sending them messages via some, some sort of means to let them know that he wants them to be preaching so for me in preaching the question was when did you get your call was it was it some sort of cosmic sign that that you were outside one day and you just the heavens opened and revealed to you that you needed to be preaching was it was it some sort of of heart pounding emotion that just just screamed to you that that's what you need to be doing or or maybe it was a dream for me the answer to those questions has always been no. No, there was not some sort of great miraculous sign that told me you need to, to quit your job in logistics and go into preaching. So I often answer that question by simply stating it was when I read what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul told that young evangelist, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready when it's popular and when it's unpopular. Be ready to preach the truth because this generation is filled with people who will tell lies. People who will tell the world what they think they want to hear. But to be honest, just as big a part of me deciding to preach was the constant encouraging, I will call it that, the constant encouraging of my wife. From a very early time in our relationship, she said, you need to be doing this. Sometimes she jokes around and she said, how is it that for years and years I told you you should be preaching and Jim Hardy has to come around and say it one time and you say, I think I'll do that. But like I said, she was there in the background reminding me, constantly prodding me forward saying you can do more. And I'll be honest, that hasn't changed. She still, still reminds me of that and I love her for that. And so it's usually at this point in the conversation when I'm talking with these people that ask that question, they're looking at me like, you're some sort of strange fish out of water. You shouldn't be a preacher without a calling. I mean, we look at Paul, and Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus, and we look at Peter, and he had the, the vision of the, 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 the cloth coming down with the animals in it. So I have a calling. And you have a calling. And what I want us to know is that God, God is not calling preachers. That's the thing that we need to get through our minds. God is not calling preachers. He's calling Christians. 
And it's a very common call. Now let's begin by unpacking what I I don't mean by that phrase. When I say it's a common call, this is what we're not talking about. You see, we have calls that come in every single day. And on a regular basis, a regular basis, I receive calls like this. Hello, this is Rachel from Card Services. I would like to talk with you about your credit card account. I'm very quick to hang up on that call. I've heard from Rachel a lot. Another one that I get, and I'm not so quick to hang up on, I like talking to these people. They say, hello, my name is so-and-so from Microsoft, and your computer is sending me information telling me you have a virus. Well, do tell me more about that. I would like to know about that. I'll have a good time talking to them, but that's not the type of call that I'm talking about. A common call like these that are usually obnoxious, usually are attempts to sell us something, usually are attempts to steal from us even sometimes. It's not the type of common call that I'm talking about. In fact, in regard to that, this call is uncommon. It's unlike any call given throughout history. No, I say this this call is common for a different reason. If you're over in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to read with me in verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, Peter's there speaking, says, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now maybe the first thing we need to question when we read that is who is Peter talking to in this passage? And to understand that you have to go back to chapter 1 verse 1 where he says Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. He goes on to say elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, as he writes there, he states he's talking to the elect who are pilgrims. But I want you to notice there's some other ways they're described. The NIV, if you're reading from the NIV this morning, you will know that it calls them exiles. The New American Standard Bible calls them aliens. And the contemporary English version calls them foreigners. But I think best, uh, or or for me, the, the favorite translation of this passage is the God's Word translation, which calls them temporary residents. Now, there are two things that we learn from this at the beginning of this book. These people, one, these people had not made themselves into what they were. They were elected. They were chosen to be this. And then number two, because of this, they were strangers. They were strangers in this world in which they now lived. And these two ideas perhaps make up the backdrop for everything that Peter is going to speak to them about in this letter and really in the second letter to come. Chapters 3 and 4 make it very clear that this was a people that were suffering persecution from the Gentile world around them, and this was a world that they had come out of. This was the world that they had been called out of, called out of the darkness, he said in verse 9. And you picture this people in your mind. I want you to see them for who they were. These are people who had families. These are people who had families that thought the things that they were doing were normal and were good. Families who worshipped a a pantheon of gods, who worshipped all sorts of different figures in their their religious theology, Uh, the, the many Greek gods and the many Roman gods. And these were people who were saying to their families, no, we're not going to do that. 
Because there's not many gods. There is one true God, Jehovah. And this was a people who saw things such as fornication and adultery and homosexuality and drunkenness and, and, and all of these different things that were tied to the worship of these gods as okay. That's a normal part of life. I'm going to suggest that's not too much different from the life we live today. And these families who were called out of darkness into this marvelous light were now saying, no, those things are not okay. God has prepared for us the, the, the way in which we should live. He has revealed to us in his will, and we need to walk by it. And so Peter tells them, he says, I understand what you're going through. You're being persecuted. Chapter 4, verse 4, he says, I know they're talking evil about you. And in verse 14, he says, I know you've been reproached. You've been insulted. And things were not easy for them. We know as we read about in other places in Scripture that these were a people, because they stood for their faith, that they were being torn from their families. Paul, before he became Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was, was separating families, was taking people to prison, was throwing people uh, into situations where you find people being murdered even and stoned like Stephen. These were, being peop these were people who were cast into poverty who were murdered for their faith. And these Christians Peter wrote to were dealing with these trials of their faith. And Peter wants them to know something very important in the midst of all this. He says, I know that you have been elect. You have been chosen by God. And I know that you have elected to follow what you have been chosen to do. And because of that, you now live as temporary residents in this world. And it is, it is putting you at friction with the people who still say, this is my permanent residency. This life is all there is for me. This is what I'm focused on. He says, I've got something very important for you to know, and I believe he's got something very important for us to know as well. And to understand that, we have to look back to chapter 2 again and start reading in verses 4 through 9. He says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. And a rock of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Then we get verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter, Peter was telling these Christians, the world around you doesn't get it. They should. They were appointed. They were elected. They were chosen just like you. But they are disobedient. They stumble because they are disobedient. But you, says you have been obedient to the word. And now you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a special people to God. And you are a people with a calling, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that calling is not a new calling. Now, it may, it may have taken different forms, and it may have come under different times and circumstances and even different covenants, but the calling has been around since man existed. And to see that, let's look back. Let's maybe mark your place here if you want to, and Peter will be back to Peter, but let's flip back over to Genesis, to the first chapter, to the, or to, to the first book of the Bible, and look in chapter 6. 
Genesis chapter 6, <clears throat> we think about this, this calling that, the, that, that Peter talks about in, in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And when we think of that calling and the, the commonality that it has, we need to see that that calling has been around. So to do that, let's consider Noah. Genesis chapter 6, the context here, maybe you will remember the world at this point. This is some time after creation, and the world has descended into wickedness. The, the thoughts on the hearts of men were evil, and, and God looks at them and says, I regret that I made this. I regret that I made man. I am sorry that I have done this, he says in verse 6. But amidst all of that, there's Noah. And Noah is described as one who is perfect in his generation in verse 9. Noah walked with God, it says. As his great-grandfather Enoch also was described as walking with God. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now certainly a, a topic for another, another sermon is the, the idea that is taught here about grace. That there was many people living the kind of lives that they wanted to live. But who found grace in the eye of the Lord was him who was walking with God. Him who was walking in righteousness. That should open our eyes a little bit to what grace is. And how, grace is, and how God gives his grace to the world. But I want to say that we need to focus on that for this sermon because that is what saved Noah. Everything that we read next, everything that we attribute to Noah's salvation has to be read in light of what we just mentioned in verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Certainly that doesn't take anything away from the fact that Noah had to follow the things that he was told, but Noah was saved, and nothing that we read afterwards could have happened if that hadn't happened first. The eyes of the Lord had to look upon Noah and on his family and shine grace Upon them. And so, with that in mind, let's pick up in verse 13. And let's just read the 13 through 16. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Here we see God's call to Noah. God is calling to Noah, and he's telling him some things. Number one, he's saying, Noah, you are going to be different. Now, up to this point, Noah is different. He's been walking with the Lord. The rest of the world is, is on their hearts, is evil continuously. And Noah is walking with God. But God is here telling Noah, you're going to be different from the rest of the world. How? How am I going to be different, God? Well, for starters, you're going to be alive. Because I'm going to kill the rest of the world. I'm going to destroy what I have created for its wickedness. You are still going to be breathing. But we need to make sure we don't get the mindset that God is saying, Noah, you're, you're covered. Noah, you're, you're going to be okay. I'm destroying all the rest of this, but Noah, you have everything. I, I'm taking care of you. That's not what he's saying here. We need to remember very, and read very carefully verse 13. I think sometimes we miss what he tells Noah. 
He says, Noah, all flesh is going to be destroyed. Not some flesh, not everybody but your flesh, all flesh is going to be destroyed. So Noah, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do to prepare for what is coming. Build an ark. And here's how. Here's the dimensions that you build it to. And here's what you need to bring. And we know if we, if we read ahead, you look at verse 22, Noah did exactly as God commanded. He didn't add anything to what God commanded him to do. Verse 22 tells us he did according to all that God commanded. That means that he did it all and he did it accordingly. Did it the way that God told him to say it. And so that we know Noah was called to be different from the world. He was called to be obedient from the world. But we also know from 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter, I will say this, when you read through the, the epistles of Peter, Peter loves to talk about Noah. Peter talks about Noah in both of his epistles, and he talks about him extensively. He likes talking about Noah, and we know that Noah was telling other, <coughs> excuse me, other people what God had told him. This wasn't a close guarded secret for Noah. Noah wanted other people to know what he knew. And I'm sure there were people that Noah loved. I'm sure there was more family on the earth for Noah than just the, the, the eight souls, uh, the seven souls plus him that were on that ark. And so he was, what he was doing as he was walking with the Lord and as he was obeying the Lord well, I don't imagine Noah doing that off in a corner by himself in secret. You know, sometimes when we have these big building projects, I remember uh, not too long ago there was kind of a, a humorous thing came out about uh, the, uh, I guess it's Disneyland, the one, the one in California. They had this new uh, attraction they were building. They were building the Millennium Falcon. For all of you who don't know what that is, you need to get caught up. In, in some Star Wars history, so you can know what that is. But they were building the Millennium Falcon, and they said, we, we can't let people know we're building this. And so they surrounded it with, with uh, shipping containers, but they forgot to cover the top. And the Google satellite went over, and they got a picture of it. And now everybody knows they're bringing this attraction. You know, I don't picture Noah trying to hide this big ark. He's not got his, his big curtain up. Sometimes I know Charles and Joe and, and Gary, I know you all have probably done this before. You're working in a room, and it's going to be real dirty, so you put up a curtain. You put up something so that dirt doesn't get out of the room and doesn't spread out everywhere because it'll do it. As soon as you start working, you, you cut that drywall, you break up that floor, and the tiniest speck of dirt, it'll fill every bit of the house. We, Noah's not working like that. He wants it to go everywhere. He, I, I don't imagine him trying to hide this. I, I, I laugh about it to myself. I think of, of my trips when we go to Lowe's. You know, I'm going to go down to Lowe's and pick up some stuff for a project. You know, what are you doing? Ah, we're just working on a little project at the house, nothing much. I don't imagine uh, you know, Noah heading to the, the, the local you know, lumber yard. I'm, I'm sure that's not where he got his gopher, two, gopher wood two-by-fours from. But, but going and getting the material for this. And people say, Noah, what are you working on over there? And Noah's probably telling them, I'm working, I'm working on the ark. What's that? It's the, this great boat that's going to save us from the flood. Well, what's that? It's something that happens when it rains a lot. What's that? It's something that God's going to send because the world has grown increasingly wicked and he's going to judge it. And if you want to be saved from that judgment, you need to come and you need to join me. Now, reading through the account, we know that whatever Noah did, that preacher of righteousness as, as Peter describes him, whatever it did, 
It, it wasn't effective to save the rest of the world. But Noah, nonetheless, was a preacher of righteousness. He was telling other people about what was going on. And you have to wonder why. I believe, and this is, this is my belief, but I believe it's because Noah recognized that he was a special person. Just like we read about in Peter, that we are a special people. He was a special person because he had been given a special message from God. Destruction is coming, and here's the way to salvation. Have you ever received in your life a special award or a commendation for something? I've got very few of those. Um, I've got a couple, though, that are, that are in my office. I'm going to tell you, they're not down in the bottom of the drawer. They're not shoved down underneath something. You put them up, you put them up where people can see them. And, and I, I like to show them off, and I like to talk about them. And you, you come and ask me about them, I'll tell you about them. Noah had been chosen. He had been given a message because he walked with the Lord to build that which could save mankind from the coming destruction. And I believe he recognized how special that was, and that's why he was talking about it. And that was his calling. A man called out of a dark world, full of wickedness, evil hearts, and corrupt thinking into a marvelous light of salvation. And what did he do? He obeyed God with fear. And he held those around him with enough honor and enough esteem to call them to that salvation. And he loved the family that he had enough to make sure that they were involved in this. They were a part of this too. And I'm going to tell you, having worked with my dad on several building projects and, and now starting to work with some of my sons on, on much smaller building projects, I can tell you without a shred of doubt in my mind that building that ark, building that ark was not just some big fluffy episode of Bob the Builder. That was hard work. That was gritty work. And I imagine as they worked together, they probably argued a lot. I know I argue with my dad every time we build something. We have arguments about whether you should hang it this way or that way, whether you should use this sort of material or that sort of material. But you know what? The things that they argued about, I will say this, they would have agreed that no matter what we are doing, no matter how we do it, it has to be God's ark that we are building. It has to be God's design. It has to be God's purpose. It has to be God's way. But they worked together. And they built what God had commanded them to build. Now I told you we had a common call. It is the same call that Noah received in Genesis chapter 6. In fact, if you'll notice, if you'll turn back to, to Peter, in fact, turn to the second epistle of Peter this time. In chapter 3, Peter comes to them, and he's, he's talking to them, reminding them what he's already said in his first epistle. And he tells them, I'm reminding you that God will be coming, even though the people around you say nothing has changed since creation. In fact, let's read that. For, uh, second Peter chapter 3, just look at verses 4 through 9. Speaking of those people, he says they were saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that which existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth 
which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter was telling them the same thing that Noah was, was, was telling the world. God has, has planned out because of the wickedness of the world a day of judgment. There was a time when he judged the world and he destroyed it with water. Now he is, he is set out to, to judge the world and destroy it with fire. And it hasn't happened yet. And we don't know when it will happen. And it could be a day off or it could be a thousand years off. But neither of those affect the faithfulness of God to his word. When he says he will do it, it will happen. And he is waiting and he is being patient because he wants us to repent and he wants us to turn to him. But how will that repentance come about? How will this dark world come to repentance? That's what he was reminding them of. That's what he had spoken to them about. That's what 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 is about. We have to live up to our calling. We have been called out of that dark world into his marvelous light. And in fact, when you read on, picking up in verse 10, listen to what he says to them. These people who have been called out of darkness, he says, you were once not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, remember, as people living as a temporary residence, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not at using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. I said at the beginning of this lesson that God was not calling preachers. And I'll admit that I said that on purpose. And I planned that phrase. Because when we look through the scripture, we do see that God has given some to be evangelists and pastor teachers. Paul pointed that out in Ephesians chapter 4. But their purpose was to equip the saints for ministry. Because before someone begins their work as an evangelist, and before someone begins their work as a pastor, and before someone begins their work as a class teacher or a meal provider or a sick visitor or even just a cold water giver, they first have to answer the call to be a follower of Christ. And a follower of Christ preaches. A follower of Christ preaches every day. And a follower of Christ preaches in many different ways. It doesn't have to, sometimes we, we say preaching, we, we kind of put it in a box. We say preaching is what gets done up there in the pulpit. But I think Noah, Noah didn't build a pulpit. Noah built a boat. But yet he was a preacher of righteousness. We need to remember that. Every day, 
in many ways. When we, like Noah, tell people that we are going to do all that God has said to do it, and we are going to do it accordingly to the way that he has said it. So I guess I should answer that question then. When people say, when did you receive your call to preach? I guess I really should say, when I received the call that my soul was in danger of eternal damnation. When I learned that the things that I were doing were against the will of God, and I was following in my own path, and I was making my own decisions. When I was called to follow after his son, that's when I received my calling. And from that, as Mike showed last night, we have continued to walk and to grow. I learned that there was an ark prepared for me. I learned that there was an ark that was, that was created so that I could be saved. And I want you to know that there has been an art created for you as well. I believe that. Do you? This morning, maybe you've thought about that message some. Maybe that idea has been in the back of your mind. There is a day coming, and we don't know when. And it could be tomorrow, and it could be ten years down the road, and it could not be in our lifetime. But there is a day coming when the Lord will return. And those who have been faithful to Him will accompany him into eternal life. But those who have said, I will walk in my path, those that have said, I will do what I want to do, those who have not been faithful and obedient to his word, to his plan, they will be forever separated from him in hell. The good news, the good news that Jesus came to deliver to us is that there is another ark being prepared to save mankind from that coming destruction. That ark is the church. And it was built upon the rock of Christ. And those who are added to it, Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says, are added to it by God and they are saved. And how do we get added to it? Peter answered that question in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. When he was asked, they said, what must we do? He said, be repent. you must repent and be baptized. But I really want to consider what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21. And again, we'll read from the God's Word translation. Verse 20 actually starts off. He says, They are like those who disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah when God waited patiently while Noah built the ship. In this ship, a few people, eight in all, were saved by water. And then in verse 21, he says, Baptism, which is like that water, now saves you. Baptism doesn't save by removing dirt from the body. Rather, baptism is a request to God for a clear conscience. It saves you through Jesus Christ who came back from death to life. We all have that invitation today to go to be transferred from death to life. We do that by joining the church. Do you want to join that? I'm not talking about just the, the local body that meets here. The church that Christ died to establish God will add you to it today if you make the decision by giving your life to no longer walk as I seem fit, no longer walk in the ways that I direct, but walk in the ways that God directs, following after His Son. And maybe for many of us here this morning, we've made that decision to come to Him, to repent of our lives, to be baptized into his, the death of His Son, and to continue walking faithfully to Him. But maybe along the way, we've forgotten that this invitation, it's not just an invitation to the lost. 
It's an invitation to each and every one of us not to forget that you and I, we are a special people. We are a chosen people to be a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, to be called into his light. I pray that the words of Paul will echo in our hearts. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said, walk worthy of your calling. And again, in the God's Word and translation, he said, live the kind of life which proves that God has called you. What kind of life have you lived? What kind of life are you showing to the others? Are you walking according to your calling? Because that calling is a common calling that has been given throughout the generations to men to come to him. If there's some way this morning that we can help you to walk in accordance to his will, to come to him in faith and to be saved, won't you please let us know right now. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.